Good morning. It is good to see all of you and worshiping with you today. We're beginning a new series for the month of June, as you could tell from that bumper video, called Magnify. What, what we're doing is we're going to look for big truth in the smallest letters in the New Testament. So we're going to be looking at Philemon, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Jude, all of which are often overlooked. Maybe they're some of your favorites, but we're going to sort of deep dive into them. This idea of magnify is to look deeper, and that's what we're going to do. Another way that you can look deeper is a magnifying glass, but also a microscope, something that you think you understand until you look deeper and then are amazed by it. Now, I do not claim to be a scientist nor the son of a scientist, but I do know how to use Google. And I found a rather interesting picture of chalk under a microscope. Take a look at what that looks like. Is that not bizarre that that is what chalk looks like under a microscope? As one of our tech guys said, it's sort of like a microscopic death star just right there in the chalk. But it's something we would not see if we did not magnify and look closer. And that's what we're going to do with the book of Philemon today. And so if you will, I'm going to be reading. I'm going to, I'm going to read all 25 verses. So I encourage you, if you've got your Bible to turn there, if you've got it on your phone, or if you want to just use one of the ones in the uh, seat back in front of you. And it is okay if you need to go to the table of contents to find where Philemon is. It is typically on one page. And so I'm going to read Philemon. Verse 1 says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, am an old man and now a prisoner for Christ. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your Consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, 
both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, I know that was lengthy, but for some of you, I wanted you to be able to answer the question, have you ever read an entire book of the Bible? And now you have. And if you come all four Sundays in June, you will be able to say you have at least read four complete books of the Bible. This book, the letter to Philemon, is unique. It is the shortest of Paul's letters, and it is the most personal of his letters. In fact, it is so personal, it is written primarily with Philemon as the audience. But as you notice in verse 1 and 2, it is also for Aphia and Archippus and the whole church. And we'll talk about that in just a second. It's about 355 words in the Greek. It is a short letter that is actually a narrative. You can sort of see a story behind the letter. So in order to magnify truth from this little document, this little letter, we're going to use five questions to sort of walk through this passage today. And it's in your life point outline. Number one, what is this letter about? What is this letter about? The truth there is this. This letter is Paul mediating reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus. Mediating reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus, okay? Now, a little bit of the backstory to this letter. Paul is writing it. He mentions it three or four times that he is a prisoner. He is a prisoner with Epaphras. Now, it is possible for two locations and two time frames for when he might have written this in prison. If he wrote it from the city of Ephesus, he wrote this in around 50 to 60 A.D., somewhere in that decade. If he wrote it from Rome, he wrote it in early 60s, like 60 to 63, somewhere in that time frame. There are thoughts about why it could be either one. It could be from Ephesus because it was about 120 miles away from Colossae where, this, where Philemon is. Now, the reason that people think that is just the mode of travel. 120 miles back and forth makes sense based on the record in here. But others think that it was most likely from Rome, which was a 1,000 miles away, based on other context clues between the book of Philemon and the book of Colossians. See, the book of Colossians is a companion piece 
to the book of Philemon. It is possible that both letters were written at the same time and hand-delivered to the church at Colossae to be read at the same time period. Or Philemon's came first and then very shortly after the book of Colossians. Now I should say this at the, out, at the outset. If preaching is a spectrum between teaching and preaching, today is most certainly going to be more on the spectrum of teaching. It's the most effective way I could think of to convey to you what is happening in this letter that for many of us, to be honest, may have not spent a lot of time with. So what's happening is Paul's in prison writing to Philemon and the church that meets in his house. Aphia, the second person listed, possibly could be his wife. Archippus possibly could be their son. Or both, all three of them could be just leaders in the house church that meets at Philemon's house. We don't 100% know. We do know that Archippus was mentioned at the end of the book of Colossians. In chapter 4, Paul writes, Archippus, tell Archippus to complete the work the Lord gave him. So that's how we know that this is set in the city of Colossae. All right? One more thing that I really did not want to have to go into, but there is no way to understand the concept of this letter without going into, and that is the issue of slavery at the time of this letter. No easy way to say it. Philemon is a slave owner. And Onesimus is his slave. Onesimus is likely a runaway slave who ran and either coincidentally ran into Paul and was saved through Paul's ministry and is now being sent back. Or Onesimus and Philemon had some sort of disagreement and Onesimus ran to Paul to be a mediator between him and his master. For the modern reader in 2023, especially modern reader in the United States of America, this is a challenging subtext to the letter. The reality is this. In the Roman world, there was a third of the population who were in slavery. Lest you think we are too far removed from slavery in 2023, there are something like 60 million slaves around our world uh, in active slavery and so this is still a significant issue and moral wrong that needs to be righted. But apart from that, a third of the population was in slavery. Now, what we have to understand different from our country's history of slavery is Roman slavery was not based on race. They, you could have a multitude of races be in slavery. Some people would even willingly put themselves into slavery so that they would get food and shelter if they found a household that would treat them well. Um, but slaves were not based on race, but a social status. They were treated as less than even human. Um, Philosophers of that day that you may know, Aristotle and Plato, in their works describing slavery from this time period, spoke of slaves as being like an animal or another tool in the household to be used as seen fit. So not good, not right. Um, we would find that to be morally wrong. But that was the economic system of Rome. 
Now, what we have to understand is we can't necessarily put all of our thoughts from 2023 onto the letter of Philemon. See, Paul is writing about 20 years after Christ has been crucified and resurrected. This is the infancy of the church. There is not a large movement yet in the scope of all of Rome. Paul's primary concern was not overthrowing a social injustice. His primary concern in this letter is reconciling Philemon and Onesimus. All of that is important, and we'll come back to it in just a few moments. The other thing that you need to know is that this letter was sent by hand, likely by a guy named Tychius, and I don't even know if that's how you pronounce it. You think preachers always know. I'll be honest. It's like T-Y-C-H-I-U-S. He's the one that delivered the letter to the Colossians. Again, maybe at the same time. And he brings that. Now, I don't know if any of you have seen this movie. It wasn't like a huge box office success. But there was a movie a couple years ago called News of the World. And it starred Tom Hanks. And Tom Hanks, this is right after the, uh, the Civil War. And he's an old general going town to town in Texas, gathering up people to read the daily newspaper or the monthly newspaper about the news happening in the world. Why? Because not everybody had access and not everybody could read even if they had a copy. Only 15% of the Roman world at the time of this writing were literate, meaning they could read or write. So when Paul wrote a letter, they went through the community saying, church, gather up. We're going to read a letter from Paul. Now, I want you to, for just a moment, imagine you're Philemon. We've got this letter from Paul. If you've ever felt like a preacher was preaching a sermon after having read your mail or email, that was literally what was going on for Philemon. We're literally reading his mail in front of the whole church. Because in that opening, it is to Philemon, to Aphia, Archippus, and to the entire household church, or the church meeting in your household. And so someone stands up and reads this letter. Also, we know from this letter that Paul says, I have sent Onesimus back to you. And so when everybody gets into the living room to read this letter, not only is this about Philemon, but Onesimus is probably standing in the room. And people hearing this letter being read, because they're humans, even though it was still 2,000 years ago, they're like us, probably were looking at Philemon and then looking at Onesimus like, what is going to happen here? That sort of the backdrop, a runaway slave being sent back, and now Paul trying to mediate reconciliation in front of the whole church through a reading of this letter. The second question is this, who is Philemon? Who is Philemon? Here's a couple of things about Philemon. Number one, Philemon is the person in the position of power. Again, can't get around it. He is the master. He is the owner of the slave Onesimus, which meant this. A runaway slave, if returned to you, the master had all the power. If he wanted to have him killed, he could do it, no repercussion. If he wanted to have him brought out in the middle of town and beaten, he could absolutely have that happen. 
He also had the power, as Paul is going to ask, to forgive and reconcile with him. But he's got the power dynamic. Now, one thing we also know about him is that he is a brother in the faith. We know this because Paul calls him brother on two to three occasions in this letter. The very first, about six verses, are Paul accentuating and praising the kind of believer in Christ that Philemon is. He says, I thank God every time I pray because of your love and your faith for the Lord and for the saints. He says, man, you are a partner in ministry. He prays there again in that part. I pray that your ministry of sharing the gospel will be effective. He's saying we are brothers in the faith, but he's also saying by that very nature, we are partners in the faith. He sprinkles this language in just about the nature of brothers and partnership. Archippus, my fellow soldier, at the very end, Epaphras and Demas and these other guys, or Dumas and these other guys, he says, they are my fellow workers. They are partners in ministry. So Philemon is also a leader of the house church in Colossae because it's meeting at his home. So that's a little bit about Philemon. We'll come back to that in a second. Next, we have Onesimus. Who is Onesimus? Well, I've already described he is at the negative power dynamic. He is a runaway slave. By him coming back under Paul's direction, back to Philemon's home, risking his very life, at least a beating, he is subjugated to whatever Philemon decides will happen. But we also learn this about Onesimus, that he has become a spiritual son to Paul. Notice in, in these verses early on, he says, my, I became a father to Onesimus during my imprisonment. I wish we knew more of the details of how Onesimus connected with Paul. But somehow Paul is in prison. It's likely house arrest Onesimus connects with him, and Paul shares the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Onesimus goes from death to life and is saved. He becomes a brother in the faith. He becomes a spiritual son to Paul. That's huge. That's huge. In fact, we also learn that Onesimus is a partner in ministry. Paul says, I wanted to keep him with me. He's been so effective in ministry, but I had to send him back because I didn't want to do anything without your consent, Philemon. But he has been valuable to me. In fact, he calls Onesimus my very heart. We'll come to that again in a second as well. Onesimus has proven himself valuable. In fact, in the book of Colossians, I believe it's in uh, chapter 4 as well, Paul references that the brothers greet you, including Onesimus, who is a fellow worker and one of you, meaning one of you from the church in Colossians. He is at a disadvantage in this situation. He's at the mercy seat of Philemon, but he is a spiritual son and we discover that Paul says, I'm returning him back to you, not just as a servant, but as 
a brother. This is where things get a little bit revolutionary in Paul's writing here in the context of the day. He says, Philemon, I'm returning to you your bondservant, your slave, but I'm returning him back. He is way more than that. He is now your brother in Christ. To me and how much more to you also, Philemon, both in the flesh and now in the Lord. Another thing that you'll notice is that there's a little word play. Onesimus, his name means useful. And so Paul makes a little word play and says, he once was useless to you, but now he is coming back useful, both to you and to me. Sort of a little word play on his name, right? He's not been living up to his name as useful. He's been useless. And one of the reasons that might be is later in the letter you discover that Paul, and we'll touch on this in a second, says, if he has wronged you in any way, I'll repay it. Likely, it was common for slaves that would run away is they would steal from the household so that they would have some uh, means to make their journey as they ran away. And so Onesimus very well may have robbed Philemon and become useless. And Paul saying, I'm returning him back, and now he is so useful. That is who Onesimus is in this context. So the next, the next question here, number four, what is Paul asking Philemon to do? What is Paul asking Philemon to do? Here's the truth. Paul is asking that Philemon treat Onesimus as a brother in Christ. Treat him as a brother in Christ. There's this interesting dynamic that happens. Paul's so clever. Um, You see that in verse 7, he says that uh, uh, Philemon is someone who has refreshed the hearts of all the saints. And then in verse 12, he calls Onesimus my heart. And then in verse 20, he comes back to that idea of refreshment. And he says, brother, I do want something from you. Would you refresh my heart? He's like, I know you as a believer who refreshes other saints. I've sent you my very heart. Would you refresh my heart. Does that make sense? Isn't that amazing? He is saying, I want you to welcome him. The whole purpose of this letter, everything that builds up, verse 17, this is the big moment where Paul finally makes the official request of Philemon. It says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Again, power dynamics, and Paul is saying, Would you receive your returned runaway slave as you would receive me, the founder of the very church there in Colossae? That's unbelievable. That's a shift that has taken place. Here's what's also happening. Paul is giving evidence of how he wants Philemon to respond. He starts by saying, look, I am an apostle in Uh, In verse 8, he says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough to command you what to do, 
Instead, I want to appeal to you out of love. Paul's saying, I as an apostle, as the founder of the church that meets in your house, I have the authority to tell you what to do and how to treat Onesimus. But I'm emptying myself, I'm emptying myself of my right and my status before you, Philemon. And instead, I'd rather appeal to you to do what is right. And again, later he comes back, um, you'll notice in, uh, in verse 18, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, your very own self. He multiple times is saying, look, I have rights over you, but I'm asking you and appealing. Why? Because he's saying, Philemon, I know you have rights and a status and a power position, and I'm asking you to empty yourself and to appeal to Onesimus in love. It also reminds me of the fact, it's a little bit of a gospel presentation here, He says, anything that Onesimus has done that has wronged you, I'll pay it. And in fact, Paul, to make it very clear, writes that part in his own hand. Now, this is just a little aside. A lot of times when Paul was writing letters, he was dictating it to someone like Timothy or Epaphras or someone else. And when he got to this part, he said, give me the pen. In my hand, I will repay it. Sounds a lot like our story. Those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus emptied himself to come to die on a cross. And he said, anything that you have done to wrong my father, and oh, how we have wronged his father with our sin. He says, this is by my hand I write this. I will repay it. I will pay it in full. And Paul is saying, if there's any disagreement between you, I will pay the cost. The insight here is what Paul is saying is Philemon, this is going to require forgiveness and a new mindset. It's going to require forgiveness and a new mindset. See, what Paul is also subtly doing is he mentions this uh, a little bit later. He says, I, I will pay for it, but don't Don't forget that you owe me your very life, Philemon. And what that indicates is this. Philemon is not only a brother in Christ, but it could indicate that Paul is saying, you also are my spiritual son. You owe me your very life. I'm not even going to mention it, Philemon, but you owe my very life. He led Philemon to the Lord. He led Onesimus to the Lord. And so really what Paul is saying is, I've got two spiritual sons who are brothers. And I need them to make this right. And they need to forgive one another. And they need to have a new mindset. Because what you see happening is so revolutionary. See, Paul is saying that liberation comes through Christ individually. And in the church that plays out and looks different than society. The fifth question is, what is the main point of this letter? And here it is, the truth. Our status in Christ supersedes any perceived differences between us in 
society. The power dynamic goes away, and we just focus on brothers in Christ, spiritual sons, ministry partners, because we are both sons and brothers and ministry partners. We are in Christ now, useful. And he says, like you've refreshed others, I've sent my very heart. He's your brother. Refresh his heart as well. It is a beautiful story of reconciliation and a changing, you can almost see the seeds planted in the heart of the church of what the breakdown of this societal norm in Rome of slavery. At the very end, he says, I am confident, I am confident in your obedience and that you will do even more than I ask. There is some indication, we don't know for sure, but maybe what Paul is asking when he says, do even more than I even ask, maybe what he is saying is, would you set Onesimus free? We don't know. We actually do not know whether that is the case or not. But can I just tell you this? I have thought about this all week as I've been studying this passage. In many ways, why is the letter of Philemon included in the New Testament. It's such a personal letter. Many scholars would say there's not a lot of theological depth or or flowery language that that tells us a lot about who God is and all these kind of things. It's very personal. It's very practical. It's about two guys coming together and being reconciled. Why is this in the New Testament? We don't know for sure, but can I give you a couple of theories? One is that Philemon responded in a God-honoring way to Onesimus. I mean, why would it be included if Philemon, hearing this in front of the whole church, was like, that's cute, Paul, it's still my decision, go put him to death. Somebody's gonna go, well, that one didn't work. I mean, it just makes sense that if he responded as a brother and refreshed Paul's heart, his very heart, Onesimus, that all of a sudden people go, wow, look at this, look at this dynamic Because Paul wrote in Colossians in chapter 3, verse 11, again, to the same city. He said, here, meaning in church, in the family of God, here, there is neither Greek, nor Jew, nor woman, nor man, nor slave, nor free. What he's saying is the society status things that we stack up, he says, in the church, We are simply brothers and sisters. Dividing lines go away. Why would we have this if Philemon and Onesimus did not begin something beautiful in obedience? The second thing, this is a little bit more of a stretch, but still possible. A church father in church history named Ignatius, some of you may have heard of him, Ignatius wrote a letter saying that the bishop or the pastor of the churches in Ephesus, whose name is Onesimus. It is possible just by timeline that Onesimus somehow went from this runaway slave to being brought to Christ, to being restored with Philemon, to being a pastor in Ephesus. We don't know that for certain, but boy, it just seems Like that would make some sense. And it's possible that if that is the case, that Philemon, I mean, that that Onesimus said, please circulate the letter, which is my testimony, 
to all the churches, which is how letters in the New Testament were part of canon is because of their wide circulation. This became his and Philemon's testimony of obedience. I don't know about you, but that's just a beautiful picture. And so what do we do with that? Joel, if you want to come on up, I'm going to close it down here. Here's the main point. When when people are in Christ, the ways that we stack rank people outside of this place does not belong, that stack ranking does not belong in the household of faith. Let me use a very easy example. What it would mean is that a believer in Christ in North Korea could worship in the same church as a believer from South Korea. It means that a believer in Russia could worship in the same household of faith as a believer from Ukraine. It means that when we come into this house of worship, your race does not matter. Your economic status in our town does not matter. Your perceived position of employment or status or long tenure or brand new, it does not matter here because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's how we are to reflect to one another, that we are of the one household of faith. Amen? Here's a couple of reflection questions as they get ready to lead us in this last song. Number one, again, this has been a little bit different. It's been a teaching rather than a preaching. But the first question still remains. Are you a brother or sister in Christ? You only come into the household of faith through faith in Christ, his work on the cross, repentance of sin, trusting on his work, not your own, that you will be resurrected as he was resurrected. Number two, do you need to be reconciled with anyone in the faith? That's, that's literally the whole, the whole letter here. Number three, how does this letter impact your work and family relationships? And then lastly, I just thought this would be fun. If Paul were to write a personal letter to you that I was to stand up and read in front of the whole church about a step of obedience that he was asking you, what might that be and how might you respond to it? Father, thank you. All of your word is truth. And I thank you for this letter to Philemon and the truth that we can glean from it. That we are all one in the household of faith. Brothers and sisters in Christ, unified. No matter what what our rankings may or may be outside of this place, we belong to you. Father, help us to return to worship the goodness that we were all once slaves to sin. But because of Christ, you in your own hand wrote, I will pay the debt, and now we are free, part of the household, sons and daughters. Lord, may we reflect that attitude of worship back today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.